0: That was a strange week, uh, but it was a good week, but we laughed a lot together, didn't we? And I like to laugh, and sometimes things come across my my plate that, you know, humor me. I had a friend send me this this last week. Someone said Montana looks like Joe Biden sniffing Idaho, and I just can't unsee it. That made me laugh. But it wasn't as funny to me. Still, as the preacher talking about why he's pregnant, he doesn't know why. So, because I really didn't say those words, and you know I didn't say those words. We're trying to figure out things with our close captions. All right. Well, let's get into our text today. This is where we ended this last week. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. So we know that everywhere Jesus goes, you know, we think, I want Jesus, just give me Jesus. But everywhere Jesus goes, he takes his friends with him. And uh, some of Jesus' friends are real characters, some of Jesus' friends are real pieces of work. Uh, there's not a one of Jesus' friends who is not messy in some way. Uh, he works with people, he brings people that are filled with sin and they're broken. And we might think, why would God choose to use such flawed books and building materials? to build something that is reflecting of him, and that is I don't know why this keeps saying Well, I think he sees something in us, something that is his in us. Maybe one reason why God would to these broken things to build his temple. Um, we know that god is love and in the mystery of love love always hopes he somehow sees potential in us of what we may become in Christ jesus. and uh and it, of course it's through the cleansing that jesus works on our behalf uh, that we have value and beauty to god and he sees us through that lens of jesus so in a sense We are these flawed building materials, but the Lord, through Jesus Christ, is running the ultimate reduced-reuse-recycle program and building this temple that reflects His glory in some way. He is building in His church a showpiece for all eternity, and I don't always understand it. I don't get it. Even if it says the angels wrap their heads, they don't understand yet we trust that the Lord knows what He's doing. You know, the perfection is not in us. It's not in me. It's not in you. But the Spirit who is between us. There's perfection there. There's perfection in the relationship and the way that we are being drawn together to be the unique people of God. And that perfection wants to grow something beautiful among us. The Holy Spirit wants to be our relational glue, And He wants to build us into true communities. It's our task to let that work happen. To not resist this Spirit. To trust that God knows what He's doing in building His body. Something that He wants to do among us. Even in our little, we being circumcised here. That somehow we have the potential to reflect something about God. Uh, that's why I'm here, and uh, that's why I continue on as your minister. is in that hope is what the Lord wants to do my life. So we talked about how do you build a house for God. This is Paul's words from 1 Corinthians. He says the only foundation that is sufficient for building God's house, Jesus Christ himself. He also invites us to consider the quality of what we are building. You get to choose the building materials that you're going to use. Are you building in a careful manner? Are you building with the best that you have? Or are you giving the Lord the leftovers? That's a question we got to be honest about. And uh, we need to consider that. Are we using our best? Uh, he talks about precious stones, gold and silver, All things that reflect light. And in reflecting light, uh, we see those things as beautiful things. He also has us consider the fire rating of the building materials we're using. Uh, Because fire reveals quality. And fires in this world are going to come. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus was very clear about that. Um. God's Spirit in the midst of our relationships is where the real treasure lies, and we need to remember that and trust that. That uh, that love and desire uh, for building us into a temple of God, that is the Holy Spirit's heart. That's His purpose. He wants that more than any of us want that. He knows how to do that, better than any of us know how to do that but we have to be willing and we have to seek that and we have a part to play too and a real responsibility you see building the lord's church is something that god he does take it very seriously god expects things from you as an individual he expects things from us as a community and we are given real responsibilities uh, real part to play in this special building project that we have taken on. And so we need to have care. Um, care in how we're building our lives. Care in the materials that we are selecting to do this work. Care in how we go about building things together. And if, it's not, if our building is not up to code, so to speak... If it's burned up by fire, scriptures are clear. We'll face a kind of judgment for that. There's no excuse for bad workmanship. We need to consider that and what we are trying to do as God's people here in this place, in this time. So now Paul goes on. He says, do not deceive yourselves, if any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. So we're familiar at this point that Paul has been talking about two very different kinds of wisdom, right? If you've been here at all for this First Corinthians series, we're talking about the wisdom of the world and this wisdom of God. And he constantly goes back and forth comparing those two um, because the Corinthian believers are not using godly wisdom in the judgments that they are making. And so today we get a little bit different perspective. This is how God sees human wisdom. This is God's take on human wisdom, the very best we can come up with. From God's point of view, the best we can come up with It's still foolishness to him. Human wisdom, in all of its pretense, in all of its bluff, in all of the things that we can say, and the rattle, uh, saber rattling and shouting, and if God decides something, what argument is there? And if we don't have that as our starting place, no matter what else we say, it's foolishness. So let's look at this first little phrase. I have thought about this a lot. Do not deceive yourselves. How big of a problem do you think is self-deception? In your own lives. Sometimes we even know, kind of intuitively. We don't want to face it, so we'd rather just be ignorant, and so... I'm okay with a little self deception. Uh, and then there's ways that we are not even intentional about it. We think we know more than we do. We get a little big for our britches in more colloquial language. Sometimes I think I'm big cow, but really I'm just little cow. Cal. Big cow's over there. I think self deception's a real problem for us. Um, and it is a doorway for all kinds of bad things and evil to come into our lives when we can't be honest. And in self deceptions, we, we say things to ourselves like, I deserve this. God doesn't really care, He just wants me to be happy. God, He's somewhere else, and He only helps those who help Himself. Or, I'm not getting my fair share. All kinds of horrible, sinful things come into our lives through self deception. Because self deception is, in the end, you know what it boils down to? It boils down to this I know better than you, God. I know better than God. So, how do you deal with self deception? How do you deal with that, according to Paul? If you think you're a wise, hey, it's time to become a fool. Give up on those games. Be a fool. So when he says, become a fool, what is Paul talking about? He's talking about our assumptions, is he not? The things that we think we understand and we think we know. Well, we don't know as much as we think we do. And about the time you start thinking you have everything figured out, life usually comes along and circumstances and rip the rug right out from under you. When you think you got things figured out, maybe it's a time to start assuming that in fact you don't know at all. In fact you still need help. In fact you still don't understand. God made a mistake putting me in this family. God made a mistake putting me in this body. God made a mistake giving me these kind of desires. I know better than God how to take care of myself. God doesn't really care. All of these are different versions of a lie that boils down to this idea that God cannot be trusted. I can't trust him. Yes, he's going to do good on a cosmic level through Jesus Christ, but when it comes to my little life and me, my little bit of happiness and getting my little pieces and fair share, I don't know that God has my best interest at heart. That's the mind of the world. That's not the mind of Christ. People can always find ways to deceive themselves. We are so creative at it. Finding ways where we can turn what is wrong to define it as what is right because of our desires, what is evil, we describe as good, and what is good becomes described as evil. But you know who's never deceived? Paul asks us to question our assumptions. You know who's never deceived? God. God is not deceived. The games we play are foolishness to him. God always sees things clearly. So when Paul invites us to become fools, Paul invites us to step back from our assumptions and get our eyes off of ourselves in our own little circumstances and get our eyes back onto Jesus Christ and back onto the Lord. And this, the ramifications of this are as broad as human life itself. So in regard to your wants and your desires, in regard to your sexuality, in regard to your resources, in regard to your relationships... The place where we begin is, this is what I think, God. This is what I want, God. Paul says, give up that game. Instead, just start as a fool. Asking the question, what do you think, God? What do you want, God? What is it that God says matters? What... Or rather not what, but who? Who does God say I am? Who does God say? How, who does God say is valuable? Who does God love? We need to move back from the things we think we know to begin to ask, ask these fundamental questions again. Paul's, in essence, saying, you know, you Corinthians, you think you have it figured out, but really, it's time to come back to the drawing board and admit that you don't know. Question your assumptions. Come back to the drawing board, and let's begin again. As is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about human leaders. Human wisdom, they're boasting. They're, make, they're dividing up teams. Team Apollos, Team Paul, Team Cephas, team, team Jesus. See, if the cross seems foolish to Jews and Gentiles, the very best thoughts and craftiness of, of humanity in our wisdom it's foolish to God. And so now Paul quotes from the Old Testament. This first quote is from Job. You guys know the book of Job? Job is a fascinating book. It's a fasc- There's so much about Job I don't clearly understand. But the main story is Job, you know, he has everything, it seems, taken away from him. And he has a choice to make just curse God and die or sit in misery. And, and he has, you know, this story of Job. He has helpful friends who aren't very helpful. Do you know that part of the story? They're coming and giving all of this godly, seemingly godly advice. But really what is needed is everyone just needs to be a fool before God who knows what he's doing, who acts without regard to what I think is right and wrong because he is love. And so Paul quotes from Job's friend Eliphaz in Job 5.13. And they get certain things right, these friends of Job. What Eliphaz gets right, those who are not right before God, they perish without wisdom. They perish because they don't have wisdom. He gets that right. What he gets wrong No one can get right before God. No one can get right before God. Because Paul knows you can get right before God. You can be right in your relationship with the Lord. And at night, it might not seem like a big hope, but it is a fool's hope. You see, you can be right before God if you cling to Jesus Christ above everything else and you just don't let go and you don't relax that grip and you don't give up on Jesus. Well, the second quote then is from Psalm 94. Psalm 94, verse 11, God sees the end result of worldly wisdom. What is the end result of worldly wisdom? It's futile, it says. It's futility. The end result of human wisdom, futility, absurdity, oblivion. A quick story. First time I remember Uh, having the thought that my educators, the people who were educating me, that they had an agenda of their own. Uh, Shocker. Uh, They had a worldview that they were peddling. Was uh, in my logic and composition class at Boise State University, I had a professor who hated Christians vehemently, and anywhere he could get a shot in, uh, he would take it. And so, uh, it wasn't that he could disprove faith in Christ itself, but he had all kinds of fertile ground to attack Christians on, on their inconsistencies in their, the way they were living with the beliefs that they professed. Hypocrisy. And would tear things apart. So, it was interesting, though. So, even as I'm learning these logical fallacies Uh, that he was teaching straw man arguments a red herring a slippery slope Uh, he never seemed to consider in his these criteria in his venomous attacks toward Christians and finally one day in class I remember one of the students asked him okay you've attacked everything you've pulled everything apart what then is the meaning of life what is life's purpose and I'll never forget his answer. You know, I'd see him out there chain smoking cigarettes, just kind of angry before class, miserable person. It just that demeanor came across. But he had an agenda, and uh, he was vehement about it. And I'll never forget his answer. He said, "There is no purpose. We are all just whistling in the graveyard." We're all just whistling in the graveyard. So, whenever you're in a situation where someone is questioning your faith, attacking your faith in Jesus Christ, you've got to remember what is it that they are offering? That's what worldly wisdom can give you. It's all absurd. It doesn't matter at all. So, get why you, what you can while you can. You're just whistling in the graveyard. Your hope means nothing. I can't prove that. And I may be called a fool a hundred times over for what I profess and I believe. But I'm going to cling to Jesus Christ. Because I would rather have a fool's hope than no hope at all. You know, the end of human wisdom, we have this whole interesting, fascinating book as well, Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. This was written before. God's secret plan was revealed. Christ in you. See, Paul says, you don't have to choose. You don't have to choose between me and Apollos. Just become a fool and realize it's all God's. And God is going to do what God needs to do. And it's for our good and for our benefit. He says, All things are yours. All things are yours. This ties like into Romans eight twenty eight. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. You are of Christ, and Christ is of God. You don't even have to choose between your favorites. It all belongs to you. Your circumstances it doesn't doesn't matter. Whatever my present circumstances are, they might be great, they might be horrible right now. Whatever the future holds, it doesn't matter. All things are yours. It's all yours in Christ Jesus. If you have Christ, then everything Christ has is our inheritance. That's mind-blowing to me. See, this verse is about freedom. This verse is about abundance. We don't have to create an us versus them scenario. You don't have to choose between, oh, this is my favorite minister here, or this is my favorite elder or teacher, or these are the people I'm leading. We're all yours. Even the the ones who aren't very good at what we're doing. But we're learning and we're trying. You don't have to choose. And what Paul is talking about, all things are yours. He is talking about the mind of Jesus Christ himself. That mind is available to us. It's a mind that I don't have to fight for my fair share because it's all going to end anyway. It's not a mind that says vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's not a mind that says get what you can while you can because we're all just whistling in the graveyard. The mind of Christ is a mind that says can't you see everything is yours? Because I know who my Father is. The mind of Christ says, don't you know that there is no end to my Father's generosity and goodness? It's the mind of Christ. And he took that mind through the very worst that humanity could throw at him. And he bore it on the cross. So how do we think of our leaders? This then is how you ought to regard us, Paul says, servants of Christ. Servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. So in a special way, uh, he's saying, this is what you should think of us as apostles. And so he's talking about the apostles. But I think this applies more generally to any area of responsibility and leadership within the Lord's church. Our job is to respect our leaders as our fellow servants, to help make their job easier, to take on real responsibility for this this house of the Lord that we are trying to build together with the Holy Spirit guiding us. Our job is to support our leaders in the work of sharing this incredible message that we've been entrusted with. And you know I I love that some of you love my preaching. And I love that I help some of you get a little bit of extra rest on a Sunday morning. <laughs> but you know in the end what I am and I love my job. But I'm just I'm just a mailman. I'm just passing on to you a letter that you get to open. And I know what's in that letter. It is the letter that is canceling all the debts. That you, your bad credit score, gone. As a minister of the gospel, that's what I get to deliver. I get to deliver the sealed copy of your will. That you have this unimaginable inheritance coming. And you will want for nothing ever again. Because no one is richer than your father. It's it's like uh, my father in law said in one of his favorite jobs he loved to be the guy who delivered flowers. Because people are so, you get a a bunch of roses, and these women would get this, maybe men too, I don't know. But they get these flowers and just light up, and everyone's happy to see the person who's bringing them flowers. But we do have a place in the different tasks that we have in the church. And as Paul says, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. We've got to be careful in who we put into areas of responsibility. Because there are real areas of responsibility. And if the mind of Christ is not coming out, if these are not spirit-filled men and women who are entrusted to different parts of this church life, You know how flawed we are as broken bricks and broken building places. Things can go sideways real quick. That's why we take care in the way we are building this temple to reflect the glory of God. We give it our best. We take it serious. We don't move away from the foundation of Jesus Christ. But Paul goes on to say, you know, I, I really don't care. I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear. But that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. So the, we know that the Corinthians are making very worldly judgments on, on the Corinthian believer. On, they are making judgments about Paul. Paul. He's not real as eloquent. He's not maybe as polished as Apollos. He's not. Paul, he doesn't care. He cares about judgment, but not from you, not from these early Christians. So the, the games that we play, it doesn't, doesn't matter. The judgments you're making toward me, I I care less. It doesn't bother me even. I'm not losing sleep over it because there is a judge and it's what he says that matters. Just because I don't know doesn't make me innocent though. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes and he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. So this is where we're going to end this morning. And this is an invitation to leave space for God's justice and for God's reward. Judge nothing before the appointed time. How hard is that for us? We are involved in systems of judgment all around us. Who has something I like? Our, Our advertising industry trying to get you to make judgments, to get this thing that will suddenly make everything better for. And and that is our society. We have to make judgments all the time. But we don't need to be wrapped up with those games. They don't need to overwhelm us, constantly judging God's people or the things or circumstances. And this doesn't mean we shouldn't try to change our circumstances. Of course we should try to change our circumstances. But most people live their lives like they're God's judgment. It's not even a factor in our thinking. They have no fear of the Lord, no respect of the Lord whatsoever. A lot of Christians live like they're shot at justice. It depends on anything that scrap they can get themselves by their own hand. You're small judge of the universe it was never a burden you were meant to carry wait on god leave space for god's judgment don't live like you're the one who has to have everything figured out because you can't don't live like you can pretend to see like what is hidden in darkness like you are the one who is able to expose the motives of human hearts. You can't. You you have a hard time even exposing the motives of your own heart, much less someone else's. Trust God for the justice we need. Trust God for the rewards that we need. You know, and that's a... That's the way a fool lives, a fool for Jesus. We're not playing the judgment game anymore. We're playing the game where all we want to hear more than anything else well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. We live for the reward of hearing those words and any of us by God's grace who hear those words from the lips of our Savior, we will have all the justice we need. We will have everything because everything is ours because we are in Christ and Christ is of God. Well, that's our lesson for this morning. You know, I always think Jesus has it says it best and uh, he just simply says where your treasure is there your heart will be also so let's set our treasure for the reward of hearing those words from our lord well done good and faithful servant well done Um, so we offer an invitation and uh, if you want to come talk to me up front here uh, for the prayers of this church. Put the Lord on in baptism as a part of a formal way. We uh, begin this discipleship journey in significant ways uh, through our uh, committing our lives to Jesus. But I have another one I want to share as well. I talked briefly last week about a men's discipleship group that I'm wanting to form, and uh, I ask you, my brothers, to be praying about this. And so I wanted to give you a little bit more of an inkling about what I'm talking about. Uh, I want to form this group, six guys around there, uh, to have spiritual friendship in the Lord together. And uh, we will learn each other's stories. We're going to learn some scripture, and we're going to learn how to pray for each other. But here are some of the the things that we'll have: scripture, solidarity, and sweat. We're going to dig in. I don't know what those verses are. We're going to have a daily quiet time solidarity. You're going to share your your journey with the Lord, with that group. We're going to learn each other's strengths. We're going to learn about our sins and our challenges. We're going to encourage each other to grow as godly men. We're going to listen for each other. We're going to pray for each other. And then we're going to sweat after we have our kind of uh, our sharing time and our scripture time together. And I have a barrel sauna I assembled in my backyard and we're going to divide into two groups. While one side, group is outside shivering, the other group will be inside sweating. And then we're going to switch and go back and forth. And, uh, and we're going to have a ball doing it. So this is an announcement of season one of sauna discipleship. So we're going to start the week after Thanksgiving, and we're going to run the first season through February, these coldest months, three months of more intense spiritual commitments and intentionality, one night a week that you will commit to being there. I think we won't go more than two hours at any time. You will commit to a daily quiet time and study, prayer, reflection. Uh, It doesn't have to go on forever, and you don't have to make it a long time, but you have to uh, do it intentionally. You will share your spiritual story, your testimony, if you will, and you're going to commit to listening to your other brothers in non judgmental ways. You're not there to fix them. We're there to grow this friendship in the Lord. And we'll let Him do the fixing in our midst. Uh, as we get to know each other's victories, our struggles, we will commit to praying for each other um, and be very intentional about it. And uh, we need complete confidentiality within this group. Nothing shared of the group goes outside the group. It stays there ever, ever, forever, no exceptions. And it's something I want you to take really seriously. We're not, that's why we're not going to do it forever, but we're going to do it. Like, this takes precedent over, oh, this fun thing's going on, or the Ducks game happening, or whatever. This is, no, this season, just for this little season, we're going to go deep together, and we're going we're to hit the gas and we're going to step on it with the Lord. I need this as your minister, and I want to invest in six of you guys, and it's time for some of us, and we've been sitting on the sidelines for a long time. It's going to be our opportunity to grow. So, of course, this will involve your family. So you got to talk about this and pray about this with your wife. Your wife has to sign this covenant agreement as well. And we'll move on from there. Uh, so be praying about that. And I'm going to start talking to some of you guys this next week. Or come talk to me if this is something that feels like a pull to you. So enough on that. Thank you for letting me share that, though. And God's going God's to get us where he wants us to go. We've got amazing things happening with our young people, with our youth. We're getting traction. People are coming to the Lord in this church. Uh, I I was sad that people were moving out in the way. The Lord is bringing new people in, and he's so faithful to us. But now is a time where I want to dig in and I want to go forward a little bit. So be praying about that, you guys. So enough about that. Let's uh, go ahead and stand and sing this morning.